excited today to have Reverend Marty Youngblood uh, bringing the word for us today. Um, Marty works with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. Uh, prior to that, he was uh, the campus pastor as well as um, an adjunct professor of religion at Charleston Southern University. And so we're just excited to have this young man here. Um, excited to have him uh, as part of our fellowship, but also here. And again, you're in for a treat. So help me welcome this morning, Reverend Marty Youngblood. <laughs> uh, good morning, church. Young man. <laughs> Need to send him to an optometrist. The... Uh, it's funny, as we wear these masks these days, it's interesting how it all works out. I was in a church a few weeks ago, which often is what I do, working with churches, going through some tough times. And, and so uh, I was at this church, and I wore my mask the whole time. And, and so when I got down to the front, and I got up and preached, and I put my mask back on. So when I went out, because they greet people coming out the door, you know, and this sweet lady came up. She said, that was a wonderful message, sir, but man, you're much older than you looked. And so uh, I said, yes, I am. Yes, I am. But... I said, hey, so got my hair. So, but it's a joy to be with you guys, and uh, I've been enjoying our pastor's series, Unexpected Christmas. Unfortunately, you're not going to get part three. You're going to get part one of Unexpected Sermon, because I got this late. And so I told a pastor, he said, oh, go ahead and just continue the series. I'm thinking, I don't think so. And so, uh, but anyway, so I began to pray and just ask the Lord to speak uh, what I need to share with you guys. And he led me to a passage familiar with me, and I've shared it before. But it's a passage that just really speaks to me because God is full of gifts. His greatest gift, Jesus. I mean, there's no other gift under heaven given to man that's greater than Jesus. And so we celebrate this time because he's the basis, he's the foundation of all of this, is the gift that he gives us in, in the work of Jesus. But what I want to share with you is our Psalm 33 this morning, and I want to talk about gifts from a good, good father. In Psalm 33, there are other gifts that are mentioned to us in this scripture that are gifts to us. They're attributes of the Father, but they're also gifts to you and I as believers. And these are the gifts that He gives us to, to really help us do the work that God's called us to do and to enjoy the relationship we have in Him. He's going to give us and talk about in, in this, this passage in the Psalmist. It's going to be the gift of joy, the gift of His Word, the gift of His sovereignty, the gift of His watchfulness, and the gift of His mercy. And so I want us to kind of look at the scriptures today and just kind of take some time together and, and ask the Lord to speak to us through the Word by the Holy Spirit. If you turn to Psalm 33, we'll begin this passage. And Psalm 33, beginning verse 1, says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for the praise of the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp, and make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song, and play skillfully with a shout of joy. Verse 4 tells us, For the word of the Lord is right, and his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of goodness of the Lord. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the water of the seas together as a heap, and he lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. Verse 10. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people to no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen for his own inheritance. And then verse 13 says, The Lord looks from heaven, and he sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by a multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope for safety, and neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold the eye of the Lord on those who fear him 
on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Verse 20 says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our hearts shall rejoice in him because we've trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and more importantly, you love us, and that's a good, good word for us this morning, that you first loved us with an everlasting love. And Lord, out of that love came Jesus, your greatest gift of all. And so, Father, I pray now that you speak to me and to us through your word, by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, those who are watching, we pray the same. God, that you would move us, speak to us, challenge us. So as Adam said so, so well, Lord, that we would be changed at the end of this time together as a body of believers. Father, we continually pray for our pastors here at church, for healing and for encouragement in this time of sickness. And Lord, for our church as a whole and our city and our state and nation, Lord, we pray for healing. Lord, not just physical healing, oh, that's important. We pray, God, that there'd be spiritual healing. God, because we're in the season that eyes are lifted up off of things onto the lights and trees and gifts and things that all point back to the greatest gift of all, the gift of Jesus. So, Father, we love you now. Speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love this passage because it speaks so many things to me. And the first thing it speaks about is talking about the gift of joy. Uh, verse 1 says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for the praise of the upright is beautiful. Psalm 22 tells us that God inhabits the praise of his people. Now, I love guys like uh, Brother Adam and, and guys who had that gift of, of, of singing, of music, and of, of praise and worship. Uh, I have a little bit of that, but not much of that. Most of that happens in the shower and in vacant places with me alone or in my truck driving. It's not someplace I, I exhibit on the stage usually. But what it reminds me is, is that when we know Jesus in our hearts, it fills our hearts with praise. And when our hearts are filled with praise of Him, it changes us. It changes everybody around us. It'll change the room that you're in. It's amazing that when we come across someone whose heart is full of Jesus, that their life begins to just overflow. And when you get beside someone whose life is overflowing with Jesus, you know what? Their joy is contagious, and it catches up with you, and it makes your life begin to move towards joy, even if we're struggling or discouraged or, or uncertain of the future. Rejoice in the Lord, O righteous. Praise from the upright is beautiful. I love this. A heart full of Jesus creates a joy. And it's not joy based on outward circumstances or situations, but it's based on the relationship we have in and through Jesus to the Father. That's what makes all the difference. All of us, all of us could have a testimony where we've hit a difficult place, and for every practical purpose, there was no reason to be rejoy and joyful. But yet we know that we have joy because the joy comes from the Father because of Jesus in our heart, and we can demonstrate that. Joy change. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 4.4. 4. He said, Rejoice in the Lord, and again I say rejoice. Coming from a man who felt great difficulties in life. But he reminds us that if we'll just make the effort to rejoice in the Jesus in our hearts, it will be contagious with those around us and change the circumstances of things in us. We begin to look inside for that joy, not outside for that. Joy is one of those things that the world needs. Matthew Henry is a commentary from way back, and, but he, I love what he says when it comes to joy. He said that when our life is full of Jesus and then therefore full of joy, when that's happening, the joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies. When you're full of joy, your spiritual enemies don't want any part of you. You see, the enemies are ourself or others or our adversary, the devil. 
But when we're full of the joy of the Lord, they don't want to be around us because we have the strength of the Lord. Nehemiah says that, that the joy is our strength. And so we need to understand that the gift of joy is something that comes from the Father. It's a result of having Jesus in our hearts. And it's something that's to come into our lives and out of our lives and be that change agent. Adam said that we're changed. And I tell people, if we come in here and leave with more Jesus, the people at the restaurant will notice it. The people at the gas station will notice it. The people in the grocery store will notice it. The people at the Walmart or Target or wherever you may stop off to pick up something this afternoon will notice it. I'm amazed. I was in, just the other day, uh, I was sharing uh, with Daphne and them. I said I was in a department store, and I could hear faintly someone singing. And it was really a sweet little voice I could hear, and I was just curious, so I kind of made my way around, and I looked, and it was a little kid at the toy aisle. And, man, he was like, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible. He's, you know, he's thinking presence, but he's singing Jesus. And I thought, you know what? That doesn't happen naturally. That comes out of either the heart of a young child that knows Jesus or a young child who's in the presence of parents that know Jesus. Someone had exposed him to Jesus and the joy that comes by knowing him. And that joy was coming out. And he already knew that Jesus and presence went together. I love that. I love that. You see, the gift of joy is a gift from the Father to us because he's a good, good Father. A second gift that he gives us is the gift of his word. Verse 6 says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. God's word is a great gift to us. I'm so grateful that it doesn't depend on my emotions or feelings or thoughts, but my life is based on the word of God. I'm grateful for a pastor and for a staff that allows the word of God to be the foundation of this body of believers, this church. And so we know the messages we hear, the worship we experience, the teaching and ministries behind us that go on are all based on the Word of God. Those are the things that are eternal. Those are the things that are certain. Those are the things that will actually help us in life. I love that, the Word of God. I love that he says that the heavens were made. If I step back to Genesis 1-1, that's not on the screen, but in Genesis 1-1, I look up because they're pretty quick up there. I better check that. But in Genesis 1-1, uh, it says that in the beginning, God created. Now, a lot of people think that God took this and took that and took some of this and compressed it all together and made it. No, the word bara in the Hebrew says creation from nothing. He didn't need anyone else's help. He didn't need anything else. He created everything out of nothing. So when you go on an afternoon or a morning to the, to the beach down here not far away and you see that sunrise or that sunset or that beautiful day, you can know that he created that out of nothing by the word of God, by the breath of his voice spoken. You see, I love the fact that the word of God has that kind of power. And I'm not trying to make it mystical in the sense of that, but it is the fact that it's the foundation and the power and God works through his word. It's the change agent in people's lives it's a creative agent in so many things isaiah 55 says this it says that god's word will never return void it will accomplish his purpose whatever he intended it to accomplish now i know my grandparents who were wonderful christians prayed for my life and my grandfather constantly quoted me the word and this is even when i was not going to church and when i did not know jesus yet by them praying for me and quoting the Word of God and hearing the Word of God so that when I did step into the church at the age of 20 and, and was saved, that Word rose up in me 
that had been placed into me long, long ago. Though I thought it was just something being spoken over me or around me, I thought, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't really apply to me. But God's word never returns void. God has a purpose for his word. and It accomplishes his purpose in his time according to his will. That's what the word does. Ian Bounds is a great man of prayer. Ian Bounds says the word of God is a fulcrum by which we lay the lever of prayer across. It moves all things mightily. And if you don't think a fulcrum and a lever work, I'll share with you something that, that was a memory that came up long ago. And I was talking to my wife the other day. When, when we, I went to school for the first grade, I remember we went to this brand new school. And I, as I went to school, I was so excited because I was introduced to the seesaw. Never seen a seesaw. Didn't know the function of a seesaw. But the function of a seesaw is simple. It's a fulcrum and a lever. That's all it is. And a handle. So all my buddies said, come here. Get on the seesaw. You know where this is going. So I got on the seesaw. And one got on the other side of the seesaw. And we went back and forth. And now these young guys are like, what is a seesaw? Look it up. Google it. But back and forth. Well, then two of the bigger, older kids said, let us show you how the seesaw works. They climbed on top of the thing. And I'm holding on as a little first grader, about a buck twenty. I wouldn't. Anyway, so I'm just hanging on, and they jumped off. And I experienced the power of a fulcrum and a lever. It launched me off the seesaw into the playgrounds. I was tough. That's okay. I got up and I said, that won't happen again. But anyway, but it's one of those things where God's word does the same thing. When we apply God's word to a situation, it can move things that can't be moved in any other way. And that's why we need to understand the power of God's Word. I love how it works and how God's Word works. Uh, one of the joys I have is serving as a leader of prayer for Georgia Baptist through the years. And, and, and when I was in that role of, of leading prayer across the state some years ago, a friend of mine in Florida, we go to Florida every year for a family vacation. And uh, on my birthday, my wife lets me send the check for the deposit to hold the condo so we can go down there and enjoy the blue waters and, and the fishing and, and just the time away. And so... And so <clears throat> One birthday, it was uh, 2010, I remember seeing a little tagline on the news that there was a, some kind of oil spill in the Gulf. And at the time, it didn't seem very serious. It just was just a little tagline, a little, oh, a Gulf spill, you know, an oil spill occurred. But you and I know that that was the BP Gulf spill that, that changed the Gulf immensely. And that oil spill began to leak oil, and it leaked for a long time. So much that it, it said that almost 3 million barrels of oil, two tankers full, leaked out. Well, a pastor friend of mine that I knew in the Keys called me up and said, Hey, brother, we need help. We're hearing that this oil is going to come along the west coast of Florida, down around the Keys, up the east coast seaboard, and just ruin all the economy, all the, all the environment, all the, all the stuff that's going on. I mean, it's just going to devastate us. And that will devastate us as the church, and it will hinder us from getting the gospel out. That was his heart. That was his concern. Even though he loved the environment and he, he needed resources, it was the fact that he felt like it was going to shut down the gospel if this happened. And so people around Georgia, and if you remember, the, the governors of all the states gathered together and, and, and they began to pray. And he shared a verse, and interesting enough, the verses in this scripture today. He shared this verse. He said, this is a verse the Lord gave us as we gathered to pray one day. And we want you to share that verse with others. And we want you to agree with us for the Lord to do whatever his will is in this matter. And the verse was this, verse 7. He gathers the water of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Now, when I read that verse, I thought, I didn't make the connection. 
But I said, Lord, I'm going to trust you. For some reason, you've given this verse to this group of men, these pastors in South Florida, and so I'm just going to agree with them. Lord, we need you to work a miracle in this situation. You know what happened? And you can go on Google this. You look at Encyclopedia Britannica. It will tell you about two things that developed soon after this prayer happened. There was a, a loop current that was larger than normal, and then there's a, an eddy, a swirl of water that was larger than normal. And the loop current and the eddy were the largest ever, lasting the longest ever, and the oil never made it to Florida. If you remember, it just swirled it back to itself and kept it in the Gulf. Now, I'm just telling you, there were some excited pastors in Florida when the Lord chose to honor His Word and their prayer according to His will and purpose. Nothing mystical here. God chose to do a miracle for them because they cried out according to the Word in faith and trust that He would do something. You see, the Word of God is powerful. All too often we see it as something that's important, but we don't realize the power that it has in our lives and the lives of others around us and for our world crying out to the Lord through his word it's a great way if you're ever uncertain how to pray we know the spirit helps us along but the word of God is the thing that we can pray to the father that he always inclines his ear to and listens when he hears the word being read being sung being preached he's attentive just like now as I'm making a feeble effort to preach the word of God he's attentive not on me but his word that's what makes the difference. The Word of God, is, it's a gift from God, just like joy is a gift from God because He's a good, good Father. A third thing I want to share with you this morning comes out of, really, verse 11. It's the gift of His sovereignty. Now, when you talk about sovereignty, sometimes in theological circles, people get a little tight because there's some discussion when it comes to the sovereignty of God, how that all works. And, and I'm pretty simple-minded, and so I've come to a conclusion in my mind, theologically, what the sovereignty of God looks like for me. And this is it in a song. Here I go again, Adam. He's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands, he's got the whole world. In his hands. That's all I really need to know. Now, I, know need, I need to know some other theological things about that, and it's fine to have discussions about that, but we need to understand that He is God, creator of all, out of nothing. He is a sovereign God who loves us with an everlasting love, who gave us the greatest gift in Jesus, and gives us the gifts of joy and word and sovereignty and watchfulness and mercy and all these things because He loves us. He has a plan for us. He cares for us. I love that it, it says here, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. In verse 11, the plans of his heart to all generations. If we would have gone forward in Luke 2 and the passages that were left for Brooks to preach that I chose not to, we would run into Simeon and him coming into the temple and the prophecy being fulfilled in Jesus and saying, Behold, the salvation to man. It's in this little one, this child. Salvation for all mankind exists in him, God had a plan. And if we followed Luke all the way down to 16, Jesus would confess this about himself. He said, the reason I've come is that I may seek and to save that which is lost. That's my plan. That's my purpose. It's not just to make life easier. It's to change life forever. Jesus changes lives. That great gift in him. His plan is salvation in Jesus. His plan is for all to be saved. 
and our purpose is for you and I to be preaching the gospel from the word, from our worship, from our teaching, from our life, from our actions in every way. A great verse that's a companion verse here and is a great verse to, to, to remember is Jeremiah 29, 11. I love this verse because it, it, it kind of comes back to me personally, the application of God's sovereignty. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans or the purpose that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Thoughts of peace and not of evil, a future and a hope. Now, sometimes Western Christianity, we in America specifically, we get confused thinking that a future and a hope means ease. It means material blessings. No, God says it's Jesus. It's joy. It's peace. It's hope. It's eternity. It's all these things, and it sometimes is wrapped up in things around us that make our life easier that's not the basis it's what happens sometimes and doesn't happen other times he's saying listen i've got a plan i've got a purpose and through christ you can discover that through the word you can understand that through the holy spirit you can have power to do that he has a plan he has a purpose and i've done a lot of things as a state missionary a campus minister a laying on prayer I've done some other things and 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 missions in the areas of, of olympic ministries through the years and and, and it's just been just a whole host of things. And, and a story I want to share with you is connected to what happened to me some years ago in China. 1850, a young man named James wanted to marry a sweetheart, buy the house with a picket fence on the corner, and be a banker. That's what he wanted to do because bankers made money. And bankers had good lives. They ate bountiful, and they had wonderful homes, and they, they got to go to the opera, and they got to go to these things. And, but, you know, the interesting thing is James was born to a man who was a, a pastor, and his grandfather was a pastor, and his great-grandfather was a pastor, and James in his heart felt like, maybe I need to be a pastor, a preacher. But he didn't want that. He wanted his desires. His desires were the house, the girl, the money. That was his desires. Nothing wrong with some of those in the right order, the right balance. But he knew that God had something else for him to do. And he would eventually discover that. He read a, a note his mom had passed her dad accidentally, and his dad, and, and, and the note she had passed to her husband, his dad, said this, praying for James, I know God has a great purpose and plan for his life. If he'll just only give up his life and take the life that God has for him, He'll make a difference, I know. And that note pricked his heart, and he surrendered his life back to God's plan for his life. And it wasn't with his sweetheart. It wasn't the house with the picket fence. It wasn't the job at the bank. It was to be a pastor, in fact, a missionary. And James would go to China. He'd spend 50-plus years in China. He'd build 200 churches. He would have 800 missionaries. 150,000 people in an estimate came to know Jesus through James's years in China. We know James as Hudson Taylor, one of the greatest missionaries ever that came and served Christ in that capacity. Fast forward, back it up a little bit, but then fast forward to China. I'm in, I'm in Tiananmen Square. I'm with the Olympic team. And we're sharing the gospel. And I'm sharing the gospel with this younger lady and the translator's translating 
And it comes to the fact that where I ask her, does she know Jesus? And yes, I know Jesus. And, you know, how do you know Jesus? I'm a Christian. And I said, well, I'm a Christian too. And when I told her I was a Christian, she wanted to know what kind of Christian are you? I said, what do you mean? She said, are you a Holy Spirit Christian? Are you a state church Christian? Because in China, state church was a different kind of religious experience. The underground church is what identify themselves with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Interesting. I said, oh, I'm a Holy Spirit Christian. And she lit up. And she's like, me too. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And it was just this moment. But what was even greater, I said, so how did you become a Christian? She said, my mother, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, my great... And she went all the way back to, she said, where it began for our family in the 1800s from a man named Hudson Taylor. I'm standing with a young Chinese in Tiananmen Square who's telling me the work of a man in the 1800s following the God's plan and purpose for his life was in front of me in the person. Still, the gospel was penetrating. You saw a video last week. You're going to see another one this week. And it's amazing because, you know, IMB tells us that 12 or 15,000 people a day come to know Jesus in China. People pray for revival in America. Revival is happening around the world. We're the ones lagging behind, church. We really are. It's amazing how lives are being transformed. And I thought, I'm standing in front of someone, and it began all these years with one man. But we know God had others, Lottie Moon, others in other countries. It's just amazing. And not just Baptists, believers who love Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, committed to the Word. See, the gift of sovereignty. God has a plan in all of this. He's leading us. And the greatest gift is Jesus that starts us in that process. Fourth thing I want to talk about is the gift of watchfulness. Verse 13. The Lord looks from heaven, and he sees all the sons of men. I thought about Pastor Brooks' sermon a few weeks ago about the shepherds tending their flock at night, keeping watch, watching over the flock so that no enemy came through or that the sheep themselves wandered off and got hurt because they're not the most intelligent of beings or creatures, I should say. But it tells us the Lord looks from heaven and he sees all the sons of men. And when we think about God watching over us, I think when I was a kid and I didn't know Jesus, the thought that God was watching over me was not comforting, it was convicting. I was convicted, like, wow, God sees me, you know? I mean, it's so funny, Brother Adam. Now, Adam's an upstate boy, I think, a little bit, and I'm an upstate boy, and so we used to ride around in hot rods back in the day. And so, uh, and I remember we would be riding around in our hot rods, raising, king, as we would say, and when we'd come in front of a church, you know what we'd do? Turn the radio down and slow down. <laughs> now, that was absolutely ridiculous. At least we had some understanding that that's the church, and he's God, I better be careful here, you know? Now, we speed through school zones. Just kidding. The, uh, but you get in front of a church, we turn the, we, you know, we turn the Ted Nugent down and we <laughs> turn the, the, slow the car down. But what I'm saying is, it's one of those things that we knew that God was watching. And it brought conviction when we weren't walking with Him. You know, church, I'm just going to be tr transparent. When I'm not walking with the Lord at the place that I need to be walking with the Lord, and we all get there sometimes, I get convicted because I know He's watching. And I should get convicting that I know he's watching. But his grace and his mercy is fresh every day and can renew that relationship in a moment. But not should we also get convicted, but we all should be comforted. Comforted to know that he's watching over us. I love that. 
I'm reminded of a, another story, and I know I tell a lot of stories, and some like it, some don't, but it's just how I relate the gospel through me and to you, and it has to do with Elmira, New York, and, and a lady named Sylvia Martin, and, and Brother Adam may know this one, because she penned a song or hymn years ago called His Eye is on the Sparrow, and some of you may know that. It's a beautiful hymn. And when she was asked about how she came up with that him, the eyes on the sparrow. She said, it's result of the Doolittles. I thought, Doolittles? What is this about? It was a couple in upstate New York, the Doolittles. She said they were the most kindest, loving, forgiving, accepting, encouraging, gospel preaching, everything you could imagine you'd want a believer to be, to glorify Christ and proclaim the gospel and love people unconditionally. And one was in a wheelchair and one had been sick from life, young life. And they were older. And every time we would meet together in this conference, we would talk about how is it that you sustain this joy? She said, it's from Jesus. That's the joy that sustains me. My husband in a wheelchair, me struggling through health issues all my life. She said, but also what sustains me is the fact that my heavenly Father is watching over me. Matthew 10 tells us, He's watching the sparrows. He's watching us even all the more. How comforting that should be wherever we are, gathering in worship in a church or hanging out with the family over the holidays or whenever, to know that God is watching over us like those shepherds did the night of Jesus' birth. God is watchful. He's a good, good father. And finally, I'll close with verse 22. The gift of mercy let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. God's grace and mercy. God's grace always produces hope. It doesn't always produce obedience. I wish it did sometimes. But mercy always produces hope. And hope can always lead someone to obedience. It's funny because there was a song years ago, and you remember this, Brother Adam. It's the song, It's His Kindness That Leads Me to Repentance, O Lord. When I first became a Christian... I often repented of my sin because I was fearful God was going to strike me down because I had a very shallow understanding of God. But as I grew in love and relationship with the Father through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, I realized God has a huge love for me. And suddenly I didn't repent when I was fearful. I repented because of I loved Him. You see, I confess to my wife when I go to Bass Pro and buy something without telling her, not because she's going to pull my credit card, you know, because I love her. I want to make sure she's cool with everything. It's our love relationship, not my fear. The same way in life. His gift of mercy is amazing. It leads us to hope, and hope always leads us forward in some way. I love a quote, and it says this, The real meaning of mercy is it can look on failure and still see a future. I'm glad that God can look on us and still see future. He can do that because he knows who Jesus is and what Jesus is able to do in and through us when we have brought him into our life by faith and trust commitments. You see, Jesus is the reason of the season. Jesus is the greatest gift. And though this isn't the series of the unexpected Christmas, this is just a reminder of that gift. And he's a good, good father with all kinds of gifts. So I'll close with this. Now you make room in your heart this season for the greatest gift of all, Jesus.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this time in the word. And I pray you would speak to me and to us again a fresh word from your word that leads us to bring glory to you, good to your church, and the gospel to those around us who need to hear, especially in this season. They're looking, Lord. They're listening, Lord. Help us to be faithful and obedient and share. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.